بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Last week we spoke about how Judaism entered the Arabian Peninsula and we talked about the Tubba' or the ruler of Yemen who was known as Tabban As'ad and we talked about how he became a Jew when he was passing through Medina and he met some of the scholars of the Jews there and they taught him about Judaism, they taught him about the Torah and Tabban As'ad became a Jew in Medina and then he took these two scholars with him back to Yemen and the people of Yemen also accepted Judaism. Now, starting where we left off, when Tabban As'ad died, when the Tubba of Yemen, Tabban As'ad, when he passed away, the kingdom was passed on to his son, Hassan. So Hassan ibn Tabban As'ad became the new ruler of Yemen. And during the time of Hassan, during the rule of Hassan, the kingdom expanded greatly. And Hassan became so powerful to the extent that it made him arrogant. He thought that nobody could touch him. He thought that he was so powerful that he could do whatever he wants. So this arrogance came into his heart, such to the extent that he said, he said, I will fight the Arabs and I will fight the non-Arabs and I will conquer all of their lands until I rule the whole earth. My goal is to become the king of the earth. I will fight the Arabs, the non-Arabs, I'll do everything and I will become the king and the ruler of this earth. So his cabinet ministers and his advisors, they were surprised at this. You know, this is a type of blind ambition that he had that really was not realistic at all. And his cabinet members and his advisors and his staff, they knew that this was not realistic. They knew that he had just become so blinded by his power and so overcome by his arrogance that he wasn't even making logical sense anymore. So Hassan asked his staff and his cabinet and his ministers, he asked them, who is the most powerful nation on the earth right now? Who is the most powerful nation on the earth right now? And they replied him by saying they are the Persians, the Persian Empire right now. They are the most powerful nation on earth. Then he said, I'll start with them. We will start with them. We will fight them. We will take over their kingdom. And then we will continue on with our conquest of different lands around the earth. So we'll start with the Persians. And the first ruler that I will kill will be the Kisra of Persia, the ruler of Persia. So his cabinet ministers are listening to this speech and they're saying this guy has really lost the plot. This guy has gone mad. How can he think that he can go and fight the Persians? Now, the Persian Empire at that time, it was the most powerful nation on earth. And these Yemeni ministers and advisors, they knew that they weren't powerful enough, that their army was not anywhere close to as powerful uh, enough to be to, to fight with the Persians. 
that they were not at that level and they knew that that was an impossible task so they tried to reason with Hassan they tried to say this is ridiculous there is no way that you'll be able to pull this off just forget about this you know we don't need to do this why do you need to do this but he was so overcome by his arrogance he was so impressed with himself that he wouldn't listen to anything that anyone had to say so they decided that they needed to put a stop to this the ministers they knew that he was going down a very dangerous path and that this path would be the destruction of Yemen so they knew that they had to stop him somehow so when reasoning failed when trying to speak to him in a logical fashion when this failed they thought of other means that they could use to stop him from carrying out this crazy plan of his now one thing about Hassan is that he was also very very paranoid he was paranoid to the extent that he trusted no one even his closest advisors and his cabinet and his staff none of them could enter his room except after being checked for weapons he would not let anyone enter his room even no matter how high of a position they had in his cabinet nobody could enter his room unless they were checked for weapons and if they were clear they were allowed to come in and speak to him this is the level of paranoia that had come to him and this is how deeply he distrusted everyone but there was only one exception to this there was only one person he trusted fully and this person could come and see him anytime without being checked or anything and that was his brother his younger brother Amr ibn Tabban As'ad so Hassan was the king and his younger brother was Amr so Amr could come in and talk to his brother and discuss things with him and the security protocol did not apply to him so the ministers who wanted to stop Hassan from carrying out this plan of going and invading the Persian Empire they saw this as an opportunity first they tried to reason with Hassan and when that failed they went to the majlis or they went to the gathering of his brother Amr and they spoke to him they said look we have tried to speak to your brother about calling this crazy plan of his off but he's not listening to us so we see that the only solution to stop him the only way that we can stop him from destroying the kingdom of Yemen is that we have to kill him he cannot continue to be our king with these type of crazy ideas in his head and then they said to Amr they said look you are the only one who can get to him without being checked you are the only one who can actually physically get close enough to him with a weapon so that you can kill him none of us can do that because none of us can even enter his quarters without being searched so this falls on you and they said to him to sweeten the deal they said look if you do it we promise we all agree we unanimously agree that you will be the king of Yemen we are going to appoint you you're going to be the ruler of Yemen so the greed and the lust for power entered the heart of Amr he wanted to be the king he wanted to have this power and this rule so he agreed with them and they planned to assassinate Hassan ibn Tabban As'ad now there was only one minister from those ministers who disagreed with this plot who didn't want to have anything to do with it all of them agreed except one and his name was Dhu Ru'in 
And Dhuru'in said to Amr, he said, don't do this. Don't do what they're telling you to do. Do not kill your brother. Nobody can kill their brother except that after that he will be afflicted with such a guilt and sorrow and depression after that. If you go ahead with this, you know, you're, you're just greedy right now. You're just looking at the kingdom. But you will fall into such a sorrow and depression if you kill your brother that none of the kingdom or none of the wealth or none of the riches that you have will be of any benefit to you. That depression is just going to eat you alive. Don't do it. Don't do it. So Dhuru'ain was the sole member of the cabinet who tried to convince Amr not to go through with this plot to assassinate his brother. But all of the other cabinet members egged him on and told him to do it. And they beautified this evil action for him by saying that you will become the king of Yemen if you do this. So in the end, Dhuru'ain was not able to convince Amr to hold back on the plan. And Amr's greed and his lust for power got the better of him. And one day, he went into the chambers of his brother. And of course, he went in there without being checked because, he, because Hassan trusted his brother. And he came in with a dagger concealed under his clothing. And when he got close, into, close enough to him, he actually did stab him. And Hassan ibn Tabban As'ad was assassinated and killed in this manner. And they kept their promise to him. The ministers kept their promise to Amr and they made him the king of Yemen. So now Amr is the king of Yemen. But what happens to him? Exactly what Dhuru'ain told him would happen to him. He becomes so overcome by sorrow and grief and guilt that a severe depression overtakes him. And this depression is so bad that Amr is not able to sleep at all in the night. He can't sleep. And during the day, he is so weak and tired and fatigued because he doesn't have any sleep in the night. So he suffers from such an extreme case of insomnia that he is not able to actually function in his life properly. Now before Amr actually went through with the plot to execute his brother, to assassinate his brother, just before the time came for the assassination, Dhuru'ain, who was trying his best to convince him not to go through with this plot, he said to him, okay, you're not listening to me, but I'm writing a letter and I'm sealing this letter and giving it to you as an amana. So keep this letter with you and when I tell you to open it, then open it. So Amr said, okay, and he kept that letter with him. And after that, he went ahead with the assassination plot and he killed his brother. So now, after the assassination, he's suffering from this depression and this sadness. So he calls the best doctors of Yemen and the specialists and everyone to come and try to treat him for this problem that he's having, this lack of sleep. And all of the doctors and specialists and everyone agreed that the reason why Amr is suffering from this type of depression is obviously because of the evil act that he did. The fact that he murdered his own brother in order to take over his kingdom. This is something that would destroy anyone psychologically to do such a thing. So all of the doctors and all of the specialists that he brought 
they agreed that yes the cause of your insomnia the cause of your inability to sleep the cause of your depression is because of this crime that you committed because you killed your brother so Umar said okay I understand that I know what the problem is that's not what I called you here for I called you for a solution what should I do about it now and they said to him the only solution you have is everyone who conspired everyone who came to you and convinced you to kill your brother the people who came up with this plan you have to kill all of them the ones who made you do this you have to execute each and every one of them and then you should be okay so he said okay no problem I'll do that I'll kill every one of them everyone who conspired with me to murder my brother I will kill each last one of them so he started to kill all of those cabinet ministers one by one he executed them each one by one and then Zuru'ain's turn came to be executed but as we know Zuru'ain was the one who told him not to do it but when his turn came he was about to be executed as well so Zuru'ain he said wait wait Ya Amr before you execute me before you kill me I just need you to do one thing he said okay what is that he said remember before the assassination I gave you a sealed letter he said yes I remember he said okay I told you to keep that as an amana to keep that as a trust and not to open it until I tell until I tell you to open it he said yes I remember that he said okay now before you kill me I need you to open that letter and read that letter so he said okay he took the letter and he opened it and he found two lines of poetry two lines of poetry written on that piece of paper the two lines of poetry they said ala man yashtari saharan binawmin sa'idun man yabitu qarira aini fa amma himyara ghadarat wa khanat fa ma'dhiratul ilahi lidhiru'aini so these two beautiful lines of poetry that Dhuru'ain wrote it means who would be crazy enough to purchase the inability to sleep to purchase insomnia and buy that with their sleep basically to trade a comfortable night's sleep for the inability to sleep who would do that if you're sleeping comfortably this is a great blessing so why would you sell your ability to sleep comfortably and trade it for a life with no comfort Sa'idun man yabitu qarira aini. The happy person is the person who is able to sleep comfortably. It doesn't matter how rich you are, it doesn't matter how powerful you are. If you're not able to even sleep in the night, you'll never be happy. Even a person who doesn't have much wealth, he doesn't have much riches, he doesn't have any power, but he's able to sleep comfortably in the night, that's the happy person, rather than the most powerful person in the world who is unable to even sleep in the night. Sa'idun man yabitu qarira aini. The happy person is the one who is able to sleep comfortably. Fa'amma himyara ghadarat wa khanat. As for himyar, himyar means ahlu Yemen, the people of Yemen. Fa'amma himyar faghadarat wa khanat. As for the people of Yemen, meaning the ministries, the cabinet, faghadarat wa khanat. These people betrayed and committed treason. Except Ziru'ain. Except Ziru'ain. Ziru'ain is the one 
who told you not to go through with this. Do you remember that? And when he read, when Amr read these two lines of poetry, he remembered the advice of Dhuru'ain to him before he killed his brother. That he was the only one who told him not to go through with it. But he didn't heed that advice. He didn't listen to Dhuru'ain. And he went ahead and did it anyways. So once those two lines of poetry reminded Amr of Dhuru'ain's stance on this whole issue, he said, yes, you're right. Sadaqt. You have spoken the truth. And you are pardoned. And he didn't kill Dhuru'ain. So Dhuru'ain survived because of that. So Amr continued as the king of Yemen. But when he died, when Amr died, then the fighting started. Then the descendants of Rabi'ah ibn Nasr, who we spoke about last week, they started fighting over the kingdom of Yemen. They didn't think that it should go to the next one in line. Rather, each one from the royal family thought that they had a claim to that kingdom. So nobody wanted to give it to any other members of the family for rule. So the civil war started. So the family of Rabi'a ibn Nasr, they started to fight over who should rule Yemen now. And it became so chaotic. It became such a civil war that different factions of Yemen were fighting amongst each other. So Yemen became disunified and it became disunited and different people were ruling different parts of Yemen and it was just a, a big mess. It was full of chaos. So during this period of political instability when there was no central government ruling the country, there was an evil man. His na name was Lukhunay'ah. Lukhunay'a, and this was a highway robber. He was known as a person who used to rob people that were traveling through the country. And over the years, he had been able to establish himself uh, as a very powerful, you know, crime boss. And he had a pretty strong gang of, you know, of, of these highway robbers with him. And he was the leader of them. So this group of people, they became pretty powerful. Not powerful enough, of course, to overthrow a country. But in this type of situation that Yemen was in now, where it was actually in civil war and there was no strong central government ruling things, they saw this as an opportunity to actually take over the country. So Lukhunay'a and his gang, they were able to reach the palace of the king of Yemen and they were able to actually overtake that palace and through this Lukhunay'ah became the ruler of Yemen and the family of the Tubba' the family of Tabban As'ad they were thrown out of rule they didn't have any share of the kingdom anymore so this man by force Lukhunay'ah he took over the kingdom of Yemen now Lukhunay'a was a very, very evil man. He was an oppressive man and he was a very immoral and unethical person and he used to do all sorts of illicit actions with people and everyone hated him. The whole country hated him. Nobody liked him. 
after some time of his rule, after some years, there were still some members from the family of the Tubba that remained. Of course, they didn't have any political power anymore, but there were still some members of the family that remained. And one of the members of the family, he was from the descendants of Tabban As'ad. His name was Dhunuwas. And Dhunuwas was able to penetrate through the kingdom or through the palace with a weapon uh, concealed under his clothes. He was able to come into the kingdom or come into the palace of Lukhunaya with a weapon. And he was actually able to stab Lukhunaya with this dagger. So once he killed Lukhunaya, then Dhunuas took back the kingdom of Yemen again. So the, the rule returned to the family of the Tubba. So the, the rule was with the family of the Tubba for so many years and so many generations. And then for a few years, it was taken away and Lukhunaya and his gang took over. But then after some time, Dhunuas, who was from the family of the Tubba, he was able to kill Lukhunaya and get the rule of Yemen back to his family. So the rule of Yemen returned to the family of the Tubba. And Dhunuas was the new king. Dhunuas was the new king. All right. Now during the rule of Dhunuas, there was an incident that happened in Najran. There was an incident that happened in Najran. And Najran is in present-day Saudi Arabia. It's in the southern part of present-day Saudi Arabia. And it's close to the border of Yemen. It's a city close to the border of Yemen. And what's important about this city and the people of this city is that during the time of the Prophet ﷺ, while he was in Medina, a delegation of Christians came from Najran to meet with the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. And this story is recounted in the tafsir of Surah Ali Imran. The delegations of Christians that the delegation of Christians that came from Najran to speak with the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. So Najran was a city that had Christians. And how did Christianity initially enter into the Arabian Peninsula and particularly into the city of Najran? This is important to know because when we go on with the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ and his time in Medina and we talk about his meeting with these Christians, this Christian delega delegation from Najran, we need to know who they came from. Why were there Christians in Najran in the first place? So the story of how the Christians came into Najran it happened during the time that Dhunuas was ruling Yemen. There was a man, a Christian, and he was actually a Unitarian Christian. He was a Christian who really believed in the true message of Isa alayhi salam. He didn't worship Isa alayhi salam, and he didn't consider Isa alayhi salam to be the son of Allah. Rather, he was a true Christian on the real deen of Isa alayhi salam and they were known as the Muwahideen meaning the Christians who believed in Tawheed they didn't believe in the Trinity so there was a man his name was Fimiun and he was a Christian from Sham meaning from the greater Syria area and he was on the religion of Isa alayhi salam he was on the religion of Tawheed and he used to travel 
to do da'wah. He used to go to different places to call people to Tawheed. So he was on a trip from Sham, from greater Syria. He went to Africa. He went to Africa to, to do da'wah, to call the people to Tawheed. And while he was in Africa, he was captured by a gang. And in those days, you know, there were gangs that used to capture foreigners and then they used to sell them into slavery. So while he was in Africa, while Fimion was in Africa, he was captured by one of these gangs and he was sold into slavery. And the buyer was a man from Najran. The buyer was a man from Najran. So Fimion was captured and he became a slave of this man. And the man, he took him back with him to Najran. So Fimion came from greater Syria. He went to Africa to do da'wah. He was captured, sold into slavery, and now he's headed to Najran. This is the first Christian who entered into the Arabian Peninsula. So now Fimion is in Najran, and he's a slave. And he accepts that, okay, he's a slave. This was the qadr of Allah for him. This is what Allah had destined for him. He was a very pious man. He was a devoted worshiper, and he accepted whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had written for him. So he was a slave for this man, and he served him as a slave. But whenever he had free time in the nights and other times that he wasn't working, he would devote himself to ibadah. He would worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whenever he had any free time. And he was such a devoted and pious worshiper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually granted him some miracles. There are some people from the pious worshippers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, shows miracles through them. He gives them some miracles. And Fimion was one of these people. So one day in the night, he was worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was doing his ibadah. And his owner, he comes in the room and he sees that Fimion is busy in worship and there are light, there is light around him. And he doesn't know where this light is coming from. There are no candles or there's no fire or nothing, but there's light all around him while he's worshipping. So when Fimion finished his prayer, his owner asked him, what is this? This is something amazing, something I have never seen before. So then Fimion saw this as an opportunity to give him da'wah, to give his owner da'wah. So he said, you know, I am a believer in the message of Isa alayhi salam. Isa alayhi salam was the messenger of Allah. This is what he taught us to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone without any associate, without any partner. He told us not to worship any creation, not to worship any idols. He explained to him what Tawheed was and what was the message of Isa alayhi salam. So after explaining this, the owner, he was hesitant because he didn't, you know, it wasn't easy for him to admit that the religion that he was following was wrong. So he was hesitant to accept the religion of Fimion, his slave, even though he saw with his own eyes, he saw this miracle. He saw the light around him while he was doing his ibadah. And during that time, the people of Najran, they had a tree. They had a tree that they used to worship and they considered this tree to be their God, the object of their worship. So they used to worship this tree. So Fimion, when he saw the hesitance of his of his owner from accepting the doctrine of Tawheed and the message of Isa alayhi salam, he said to him, okay, I see that you're hesitant, but let me ask you a question. What do you think if my God 
destroys your God, meaning that tree, the tree that they used to worship. If my God destroys your God, then will you worship my God? And then he said, oh, in that case, of course, if your God destroys my God, then I will know that, you know, if this tree gets destroyed, then I will know that will be proof that it's not actually a God. So, of course, if your God destroys this tree, then definitely I will believe in the message that you are teaching me and I will worship your God. So Fimeon said, okay, I don't want to do this just in front of you. I want you to gather all of the people of Najran. I want you to gather all of the people of Najran by the tree that you worship and then I want them all to witness what happens. He said, okay. So he called the people and they all gathered near that tree that they used to worship. And Fimeon also came. And he started making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sincere dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya Allah, guide these people. Show them this sign that they are asking for so that they will know that what they are worshipping is false and is not worthy of worship and that they will accept you and they will worship you alone. He started making dua and he, he made dua and he continued to make it and make it with sincerity and with perseverance. And then the answer of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down a bolt of lightning. It hit that tree and the tree burst into flames. The tree was destroyed. And the whole city of Najran who used to worship that tree, they witnessed this in front of their own eyes. So when they saw that, they said, They said, we believe in the Lord of the worlds. We believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they accepted the religion of Fimeon and they became Christians. So this is how Christianity entered the Arabian Peninsula and in particular the city of Najran. And the people remained as Christians in Najran up to the time of the Prophet ﷺ. When the Prophet ﷺ was in Medina, the people of Najran, they were still Christians even at that time. So this is how Christianity entered the Arabian Peninsula. So we spoke about in the previous lessons, first we spoke about how idol worship came into the Arabian Peninsula. Then in the next lesson we spoke about how Judaism came into the Arabian Peninsula. And now today we spoke about how Christianity came into the Arabian Peninsula. And it's very important to know all of these backgrounds because the Prophet ﷺ dealt with all three of these groups of people. He dealt with the people who worshipped idols. He dealt with the Jews and he dealt with the Christians. And you will find the interactions that the Prophet ﷺ had with all of these people. You will find it in the Quran. You will find, in, you will find instances of how the Prophet ﷺ interacted with the mushrikeen, the idol worshippers of the Quraysh. You will find interactions of the Prophet ﷺ with the Jews of Medina and the Jews of Khaybar. And you will find instances of the interactions that the Prophet ﷺ had with the Christians who came from Najran. So it's very important to know all of these, to have some background information on this, so that when we get into those interactions, inshallah, when we speak about the Prophet ﷺ and how he dealt with these people, you will have some idea of how the origin of these people and how they came about. And inshallah, next week we will continue speaking about the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ bi-idhnillah. Wallahu a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.